Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Drive. Released in 2011, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, starring Ryan Gosling. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James. And we're going to do a film that we have loved for almost a decade now. Or almost far a decade. decade. Yeah. Ten years. Yeah. Drive, which was directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Screenplay by Hossein Amini, based on the book by James Salas. This is a cult classic film immediately. Refn's one of our favorite, like, newer directors. His style is so awesome and cool. He won the Best Director at Cannes Film Festival with this film, and it has a 7.8 on IMDb, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 79% audience score. On a budget of $15 million, it grossed $77 million globally. Great, great return on investment. I mean, you might want to fix your Henley a little bit. You got a little chest here oh, showing. We both James were, and I, yeah, we're wearing Henleys in honor of Ryan Gosling starring the Henley trend with Drive. Hey, I, I'm big on this chest here, man. I yeah, represent that game. He started. He starts a lot of fashion trends, but after this, I got like six Henleys and, and the boots he wears. <laughs> yeah, and the boots. Cool. And, and the he started the tight new jeans, skinny jeans, the yeah. jean jackets, and then the the scuffed up boots. Though you don't you don't uh, polish like in, them. You and make, only God forgives. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, but Gosling, I think with this movie, proved how cool he is, how much star power he has. And Drive was one of my favorite movies of 2011. My favorite was Tree of Life, but this was a close second. And I actually saw this in theaters three times because I was obsessed with it. What Refn crafted was something I had never seen before in this genre. Yeah, I saw it tw twice in theaters, and it stars oh. Gosling as a mysterious Hollywood stuntman and a mechanic who moonlights as a getaway driver who finds himself in trouble when he helps out his neighbor. And I think this is just a masterclass in filmmaking and storytelling. The movie has no business being as good as it is. It should have been like a very simple B action movie with the premise. I know Hugh Jackman was originally attached to Star, and before Refn, there were some other directors that attached to star based on the to make this movie off the book but Refn came in and just reworked the entire plot and so did Gosling with reworking the script and eliminating a ton of his dialogue and just creating this like nightmarish fairy tale ultra violent experience and the mo it's based off a novel as well and it's a tr like a pretty traditional yeah, revenge yeah I said flick. that man I, okay I didn't hear you I must not have been listening <laughs> <laughs> but it is a, like a traditional like action movie like Nick Cage VOD action movie and uh, it probably could have been good, but it was probably very standard to what we were used to seeing initially with the first script. But I think what Revan did was he added his unique tone. And this is like the first real exposure of his to American audiences. I had been a fan of his for a couple of years. I had seen Valhalla Rising. I had seen Bronson, um, the Pusher trilogy. Valhalla, FYI. Oh, Valhalla, my bad. And I was just a big fan of the his style and also his, his use of violence and the way he, he portrays it in his films, his, his artistic vision in movies, especially Bronson, I think is a really terrific um, artistic symbol symbolic movie and Tom Hardy is amazing in that. Yeah, you actually showed me both Brunson and Valhalla Rising yeah. years, years ago before we saw Drive. Yeah, this is I think still back on Netflix DVD. Yeah, you exposed me yeah. to Refn for the first time. I was time. like, you're gonna see these movies, they're effing sick. <laughs> but like, I and so when I saw that he was gonna be making this film, I was like, this is probably gonna be something really cool and it ended up being amazing. But the biggest thing that I think Refn put into this movie was it, it was based upon their first meeting. So Refn and Gosling, Gosling was a fan of his as well. And he m wanted Refn to make the movie because he wanted to do something different. Gosling was attached to Star for a while and he doesn't have a producer credit, but he helped facilitate the movie getting made. And so he had a meeting with, with a Refn and Refn had some kind of st stomach illness during the meeting and was very unresponsive. And I'd also like have succumbed to a stomach yeah. if I met Gosling. I'd be yeah. so nervous. Yeah, so That's there, probably what it was. Yeah, but but he but Gosling didn't think that he liked him and didn't think that he was interested in the project. And so um, Gosling was driving Refn back to his hotel, and then a pop song from the '80s came on, and that sparked something in Refn when he heard that song. Apparently, he started weeping right in the car, right next to Ryan Gosling. He was weeping with joy, saying, this movie is about a guy who drives around L.A. listening to pop music. And that's what I think sparked 
him making the movie, understanding that that was the tone that I'm going to capture, and that's what he did. And we'll get more into it in a second, but but the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends and to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get perks like personalized videos, our podcast schedules. Top-tier patrons get a monthly shout-out on the podcast to be immortalized forever on the show. And the best perk of all is every single patron has access to weekly bonus episodes, which post every Wednesday. Head on over to our website, RaidersOfLostPodcast.com, and check out all of our content and everything and merch. Follow, subscribe wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube. Hit the notification bell. Subscribe. Thanks so much for tuning in around the world. And I have a theory on Drive where The Notebook made every woman fall in love with Ryan Gosling, and Drive made every guy fall in love with Ryan Gosling. And I think it's 100% true because before this movie, I liked Gosling to an extent. Like, I didn't, I didn't think, it's like the same thing when, when uh, McConaughey, the McConaissance happened. Like, yeah. he was just the rom-com guy. Not that I thought Ryan Gosling was the rom-com guy, but I didn't, I don't think I saw I liked his, him be darker, but, I mean, his more independent films. I didn't see him as an action masculine lead because I, but I was a fan of his from Half Nelson and then also in Fracture, he's excellent in. Yeah, I saw Fracture. I yeah. thought that was cool. So I knew he was a great actor, but this is, I think, for me as well, what made him really see the potential he had. Like the cool, he's like he's like Steve McQueen and yeah. Bullet in this movie impossibly mixed with cool. Paul Newman. Yeah. Just like impossibly cool, just like you want to be this guy in this movie. Yeah, I was definitely like, I want to be just like God, like Driver. <laughs> like this guy is so freaking cool. <laughs> it's pretty epic. Yeah. And the cast of this movie is absolutely stacked. We have Ryan Gosling. We have Brian Cranston. This was when Cranston was still doing Breaking Bad at the time, and he was kind of dipping his feet into a film career but he's obviously busy but this is like the first time i was really exposed to him in a film in a in a movie i think he was in little miss sunshine right and then a couple and saving of, private ryan yeah, some, first some, scene yeah some other smaller roles but yeah. he still was couldn't do like leading roles up to this point mm. but it was awesome to see him this is i think my first exposure to oscar isaac it was either this or the leonardo dicaprio movie with Ru- russell crowe what's that one called oh um body of lies body of lies he's actually in that film for me i i think it's this one for me yeah it's, it's like him in the same because i saw body of lies but i didn't rec i didn't like see him stand out to me but in drive oscar isaac is really excellent and he steals every scene he's, he's a, in he's electrifying yeah, in this he's movie he's so good like, every as soon as i saw him like who is this guy he's yeah. awesome in this movie mm-hmm. and then um carrie mulligan is always sensational everything she's in she was in a ton of movies up to up to this point where you know they were very well made and artistic films but not a ton of eyeballs on them she wasn't in, in, in a ton of movies she, her biggest film was a, an education which she got Oscar nominated for. And then she was in a couple other British films. But then she got Drive, and then her career really took off. Like, after this, she did Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, and a couple other mm-hmm. big movies. And then she went back to the indie mo- indie films. And then we have Albert Brooks, who plays Bernie in this film. As the great villain. menacing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's Nemo's dad, but he's just <laughs> the most evil character you can think of. And what I love about Albert Brooks in this film is he shaved his eyebrows off in this film. And you might not notice it when you watch it, but when you look closely when you watch his scenes, he's got no eyebrows. It just makes him more terrifying. What it does is when I saw it for the first time, I didn't see Albert Brooks. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was like, that who is it? Like, who is this actor? Like it he he it made it makes your not having eyebrows makes your face look different. Same thing with like shaving your head. It makes you look different. Unfortunately, some people are born like that yeah. or have an issue, so that's yeah. unfortunate. But it, for the character, I think it makes it seem like you don't notice it, but at the same time, you're like, there's something off about this person. Exactly. That I don't trust them or something, or they seem kind of nefarious because, in a way. Because what happens is with eyebrows are attuned to our emotions and how we're interacting and conversing. And when you can interpret a lot based on people's eye movements along with their eyebrows. What exactly. am I saying right now? Exactly. You're a POS, <laughs> nonverbal communication with the eyebrows. You look like you're crazy. <laughs> and so crazy. by eliminating that, you're, you're like eliminating a, a telling part of your, your physicality. Yeah. And then we have Ron Perlman as Nino. He plays a great gangster. I've never seen him do a role like this ever before. And this is when he was like huge because of Hellboy. So I think it was mm-hmm. just, just a drastic character change for him to do this. And then Christina Hendricks also. I'd never seen her outside of Mad Men. And it was awesome to see her in a movie like this. She <coughs> plays Blanche. <coughs> get it out. I got something in my throat. Oh my Sorry. Gosh. I know. I, no. I, whenever I think of Christina Hendricks, I get a little, <laughs> little dry throat. No, too. yeah. We're, we're, we were big fans of Mad Men. So I had only seen her as that character until this point. So it was nice to see her also in a contemporary setting, like with contemporary clothing. Yeah. You know, rather than all that makeup, all the outfits and stuff. So you can Which see, is cool, but yeah. like to see her in the world we live in. More, you can relate to her more. Mm hmm. But this movie, it has so much going for it, and once it gets started, it just does not let up. But somehow, Ref and Man just to balance like a human drama, hearts, along with intense, gory violence, 
thrills, suspense, some great action sequences, a great car chase. And this this movie takes a nose nosedive into very dark territory. Once it goes down that path, it never lets up. Yeah. The thing with this film, there are two major complaints that I hear from people, whether it's on the internet or it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. People talk to me about it if I we talk about drive it's they think that it has too little dialogue they think Gosling's character driver is boring and all the characters are boring because they don't speak that much except for I mean the gangsters obviously talk a lot Shannon talks the most and then the lack of action and the lack of drive sequences and I think what we're trying to talk about with Refn is he's not trying to make like a big action blockbuster film he's trying to make a an interesting movie you know it's a neo-noir film so it's gonna have these elements of mystery and and obviously the great love story that's involved with it and well and with Refn you obviously are gonna get some ultra violence as well so it's not a typical film that's why he got one best director at Cannes and also if you if you have all the dialogue that was originally written and you and you show that in the movie it's going to be all the same dialogue you've seen done a hundred times. It's the same kind of storyline. And then the, and then Driver becomes the same character you've seen so many times over and over again. Because it's the same situations, you know? Revenge, um, you got to pull a heist, you know, he's in love with someone. It's all these same setups. And if I guarantee if the script was left intact, it would have been some, so similar to other characters. But by eliminating the dialogue... You make the character so mysterious that there's never been anything like this character before, and that makes it so wholly unique and one of its own. And you don't need dialogue to tell a story. We say it all the time. Obviously, we love dialogue-heavy films with great writers like Aaron Sorkin or Tarantino or someone like that, but, I mean, you still don't need dialogue to tell a story. You, you're understanding the emotions that are going on inside Driver's head with just the nonverbal communication with Anthony's obsession with eyebrows and the eyes that Gosling's given you and the interactions between Driver and Irene. You don't need tons of dialogue to understand that they have a romantic bond going on. They have feelings for each other. You don't need to talk a lot to get the relationship between Driver and Benicio. They have some sort of connection, you know? It's it's not necessary to constantly talk. And I think Gosling had just done the Eyes of March before this, so he was probably sick of talking. I think he just probably wanted to scrap a ton of the dialogue on the script in general. I have a cool fact about the dialogue. So Gosling, he only spoke 116 lines in this movie. And they're like yeah. one-word lines. Yeah. And, and in total, he said 891 words in total throughout the entire film. Now, to put that in retrospect with another film, in his other movie, Fracture, he spoke thir over 13,000 words in that movie. That's crazy. So 13,000 words to 891 words. Fracture is a great movie. It's if you guys haven't yeah. seen it, it starts him and Anthony Hopkins. It's a murder it's mystery. Awesome. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's so good. It's like a, a lawyer film. Yeah, a lawyer film, a lawyer, <laughs> courtroom, courthouse drama. <laughs> but Refn's style, I love it in this film. I hadn't really seen anything like it before up until this point. It's very minimalistic. I love his use of ultra slow motion that he was using, the long dissolves that he does. I mean, even just the the style of of Driver, you know, the Scorpion jacket. Again, we wear the Henleys. I think that the production of this movie just in general just knocked it all out of the park, the art design, everything. And this was the beginning of Refn's use of color in a big way because his other films are pretty saturated. And Pusher has color in it, but it's ten. It's in nightclubs, some the scenes that are colorful, so it suits the... It ha it's practical, you know what I mean? But after this, he does Only God Forgives and then The Neon Demon and then To Live and Die in L.A. Very colorfully lit... Um, um, films and TV show uh, when it doesn't have to be and but the reason for that is because he's actually colorblind and so the more saturation he sees in the image the more clear the image is to him and makes more sense to his his brain and so that's why 
after this movie, he started using so much, pumping up so much color because it's easier for him to see the image. Yeah. In general, I love his style and I love Drive because it's like this retro 80s synth movie. If like that was a movie, it's Drive. And the way he opens it is so great because we have obviously the great opening getaway driving scene, but then the opening credits are so fun with Kavinsky's Night Call song playing in the background. We have all the great shots of, of LA with Driver going around the city and driving around, but the music in general is fantastic. Besides Kavinsky's song, we have Chromatics Tick of the Clock, which plays during that opening heist, and then College Electric Youth with Real, Real Heroes. Humans, so the, yeah. the playlist for this film is exceptional. The, it's so, it's unbelievable. This is the, an, other than Tarantino, like, and a few other, like Edgar Wright, like movies aren't often defined by their soundtracks, but this is a movie like when you heard Night Call playing in theaters during the opening credits of this movie, you, I was just taken aback by it in such a great way. And I've, I fell in love with it. And I, I became obsessed over the soundtrack. I was listening to it all the time. Yeah. And it, what's so cool is it makes you like real, like relive the scenes in your head and you can you like, drive around with a toothpick yeah, at 1 a.m. Exactly. listening to Night Call Bought, blasting. Where, where I bought like six bombers. <laughs> <laughs> and not to mention Cliff Martinez did uh, the soundtrack, yeah. and he does a ton of great movies. He's done uh, several of Refins. He did Soderbergh's. Yeah, Soderbergh's. He's done a bunch of Black Mirror episodes, too, so he's an incredible composer. Yeah, he did. A, he knocked this out of the park with his score as well because it's not a typical action score. He always pushes the boundaries and, and goes outside of your expectations with every project he does. Like for the Nick, he went full synth in the Nick, and it's a period piece drama about so a hospital cool. in, the 18, in the late 1800s. It's crazy. Yeah, and he just helps with Refin in terms of what he does in this movie is obviously the opening is so cool, you know, the opening heist, which we'll get into in a little bit. But what Refn does after that is he just lulls you into this like fairy tale love story that lasts for like 30 minutes where you're getting to know Driver, you're getting to know Irene and Benicio and everything. And so you're getting to learn these characters, but we don't know what's going to happen yet because he then turns it into basically a nightmare on the situation, which he does in a lot of his films. I mean, uh, only God forgives. It doesn't start off too dark or anything, but it, well, it does start a little dark. But he lulls you into that film as well, into like a nightmarish fairy tale. Yeah, and with Reffin's directing, the reason why he won the best director at Cannes and why this film works so well, his approach to the subject, because we've seen this action movie a thousand times, we've seen the revenge thriller, we've seen movies with heists and with criminals and and getaway drivers and car chases over and over and over again. But he, like, Refn approached it in this wholly unique way where he was like, you know what, I'm going to film this getaway heist, but I'm going to keep the camera in the car the whole time. You're not going to see anything outside the car. It reminds me of Reservoir Dogs. Exactly. And, but the entire opening sequence, it's so brilliant. And he does it a lot during that car chase. Obviously, we get outside of the car a lot, but he still stays inside the car with Driver very much. But in that first getaway um, chase... He, he doesn't put the camera outside the car at all. You're experiencing what it's like to evade police cruisers. You're experiencing what it's like to have a helicopter searching for you. And by putting shots outside of the car and, and filming, like, filming the police cruisers on their own, like looking for driver or filming like the helicopter on its own, like looking down in the city, it would take you out of the perspective of driver. And so he's so brilliant with the way he portrayed this film by saying, I'm going to stick with driver the entire time. So you know what it's like to be in this car with these criminals trying to evade police. And that was such a new way to portray a getaway scene. Yeah, I love it. And actually there's one shot I think that's outside the car when he opens the rear door for the robber to get in and the camera's outside. Okay, well, before, when, I know, the, get, when some, the getaway starts. I know, but someone's going to say something, so I okay. had I had to save us from a hater comment. You, no, you saved someone from unsubscribing! Unsubscribed because there was one shot <laughs> outside the car. But yeah, I love that aspect too because I've never seen anything like that before. You know, like you said, we're not POV in the cop's car. We're not POV from the helicopter. We're not POV really of even the robbers really the only and we can only hear the communication between the authorities through the radio that driver has in his car mm -hmm. rather than us knowing like what is going on with each cruiser and which with like um what do you call it, the people they're communicating with at the station um dispatch dispatch thank you you're welcome that's what i'm here for <laughs> you always like get that you can never think of dispatch. there are a couple of words last that can episode never come up you with. couldn't come up with dispatch either there are certain words that just get stuck in my head and i can never remember them that's why i'm here everybody thank you you're the dispatch guy and uh before we continue i want to well i want to talk about characters but also there i think there are a few main themes of this film so we have debt and there are different types of debt besides money and also other kinds of debt that the characters have to go through. Eyebrows. Eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> Can't escape your past, obviously, which Driver never learns towards the end of the film. 
um, drive in terms of motivation, you know, keeping going on your path. And also the fable of the scorpion and the frog, which I want to talk to talk about in a little bit. But after that, I kind of want to start with Driver. I would love to start with Driver. Because, again, this is one of the most fascinating and interesting protagonists we've ever seen in an action film. Because he's so mysterious. Like, who is this guy? We never know his name. He's got, like, this city accent. He sounds like he could be from, like, Chicago, Boston, New York, Philly. Could be from anywhere of those places. He really has no possessions. Like, in his apartment, it's just, like, like a motel blanket and, like, that table that he works on car parts on. He's very methodical. He plans everything out. He doesn't trust anybody. And he's clearly got a high intellect, which you can tell in the opening getaway scene because not only does he seem to know the entire layout of the city memorized because he's been driving around for so long, but he also has his backup getaway plan from the original escape plan planned during the heist. And he's listening to the game on the radio to make sure that by the time the heist is over, if they're in trouble, if they got five stars and Grand Theft Auto on them, they can just pull into the parking lot <laughs> and escape through the crowd of people leaving the basketball game. So he's kind of running two things at the same time. It was actually kind of hard to get five stars. You had it really was hard. You had to do a lot of yeah, stuff to get five stars in GTA. That so he up. had like three stars. Yeah, he had three stars, I would say. Which is like you got a couple cruises and a helicopter. <laughs> but what's so cool about the character, like you said, the mystery element, you don't know his background. And that's what makes the character so unique because by the, by the third act of the film, you understand... This guy has to have killed people before. He has to have been in similar situations wherever he was from or in other cities. And because Shannon said that he just showed up on his doorstep one day uh, and then I just hired him on the spot. So he clearly ran away from another situation in his past. Skipped town. Doesn't reveal his name to anyone so he can never be found. So he becomes a ghost. So And by, the, by how efficient he is at killing and also... How much he tends to eventually kind of enjoy killing. Like when he kills Nino in the water, he's wearing the mask. He, he's savoring that moment. Yeah. You know, he's, he's he's letting that build into the into the murder. And he he is enjoying killing a couple of these people by the end of the film. And so this character is very dark. And it's just so fascinating to think like, what did he do before he came to L.A.? Yeah, and what I love is, like we said, Reffin's lulling you into this supposed fairy tale where the relationship between Driver and Irene, it's very sweet. They're like both kind of awkward and very shy. Like she looks at him in the elevator. He like glances at her and smiles. It seems kind of realistic to a lot of like modern romances today. Like when you meet someone you have a crush on in person, they live on the same floor, but they've never really communicated before. It's not until her car breaks down that they start to have their interactions. And, you know, he's a very quiet person because I think he's not trying to get involved with anybody. He's trying to constantly hide from his past. He can't escape his past, even if he comes to L.A., because he's still a criminal. He clearly was a criminal. But it seems like Driver wants to somehow get out of his life of crime. Like, wherever he came from, he's running from his past. He's still a criminal here. But he wants to be an actual race car driver with Shannon in the car, to have an actual career of substance, a life maybe possibly with Irene, someone he cares about, someone he has feelings with. If that's what he wants, but that's what he wants. But he'll never be able to really escape this life because it's in his nature. It's that great metaphor of the scorpion and the frog. And no matter how many stunt movies he drives for, whatever he does for that with Shannon, no matter heists he does, he'll never be able to escape it. Even if he, if he becomes a race car driver, which probably won't happen. And also, through his actions, you learn that he'll never fully change, even if he wants to. He's the scorpion. He tries to, to act like the frog, and he tries to... The jacket is a metaphor for, like, his real self. It's like it's a superhero costume, like Kal-El's costume. Like, the scorpion jacket is him. He's a killer. That's who he is. He's like Beatrix Kiddo. And he tries with Irene and with Benicio... You know, to try to be a normal guy, to 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 try and leave who he was behind, but even though he doesn't, and he can still save them without becoming his true self, the Scorpion, but through his own actions, he reveals that he will always be the Scorpion, and like, in the elevator scene, he does not have to keep kicking that guy's head in over and over and over again, and with the hammer scene, he enjoys, like, torturing this guy, and he enjoys killing Nino, and it's clear that he is a violent person, and he, in a, in some way, he has like some sociopathic tendencies to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so he he himself is a villain. I want to tell the the fable of the scorpion and frog because it's the biggest metaphor in this film. 
But first, if you're watching on YouTube or on social media, you may have noticed that Anthony and I have brand new laptops on our desk. These are courtesy of LG. These are the 17-inch LG Gram Ultra Lightweight Laptops. The cool thing is they have a 16-10 aspect ratio versus 16-9, which means more vertical space for editing, for, for referring to our notes, for movies. The displays on this are incredible. They're great. Every movie looks phenomenal. They are also shockingly light. It's pretty insane. So we'll put links to in our video bio on YouTube for the LG Gram 16-inch and 17-inch models. And thank you, LG and LG Gram Laptops, for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year. And we have another great sponsor, Arc Studio Pro, the most efficient, streamlined, and elegant screenwriting software on the market. They have teamed up with our podcast to offer a special deal. Use the link in this YouTube video and head on over to Arc Studio Pro, and it'll get $30 off your order. Arc Studio Pro provides users with perfect formatting when writing a script, which is so important when you're writing. They also have this amazing feature called the Plot Board, which allows you to easily organize plot points and acts like an index card digitally, and it has this amazing drag and drop system. Now, there are two versions of Arc Studio Pro. They have the basic version, which is free. All it can do is allow you to write and save your documents. That's it. What the premium version does, it has apps for your desktop or phone, online collaboration with co-writers, so it's like Google Docs, super helpful outlining tools, revisionist management, and links to feedback. Now, the premium version only costs $99 per year, but use our link in the YouTube video, and it'll take $30 off that price. So again, go to our YouTube video, use the link, get $30 off, and start using Arc Studio Pro today. Now, let's talk about the fable of the scorpion and the frog. And it goes like this. A scorpion is sitting on the bank of a river, and it needs to cross. Because it can't swim, it asks a passing frog to carry it on its back across the water. The frog hesitates and says, you'll sting me. The scorpion says, oh no, I wouldn't do that, because if I sting you, we'll both drown. So the frog is convinced and agrees to the arrangement. And halfway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog, dooming them both. Why did you do it, gasped the frog. I couldn't help it, says the scorpion. It's in my nature. So, the big question of this film is, with Driver, is he the scorpion or is he the frog? And I think you said that he was the scorpion, right? Yes. So, it's in his nature to be ultra-violent. He can't hide it from Irene. Once the, once the scorpion's out of the bag, it does not go back in. And so, with the scorpion literally being on his back with the jacket... Is he the naive frog, though? Like, so the frog carries the scorpion across the water. So driver carries or drives the criminals around in constant danger of being stung. Or he is he himself the scorpion that's labeled on the back of his jacket, unable to resist his violent tendencies. I think that I think driver's a little bit of both. So he's naive. He's the frog in that he's naive. And he constantly thinks that these criminals that he drives around with will not sting him or not screw him, but they always do. For example, the opening heist, the robbers put him in a bind when they the, – the last robber, he takes so long coming out of the building, forcing police to get right on their tail and make their model of the vehicle, which is a sting. You know, they sting him even though they get away. During Standard's heist, he gets stung and betrayed by Cook and then also betrayed by Blanche. Standard also gets killed, so he gets stung by criminals there. Bernie, Bernie basically promises to Driver he'll let him go. You know, you're going to be looking over your shoulder the rest of your life. Don't worry. You're going to be out of here. Fine. Just give me the money. Irene's going to be fine. No one's going to know about her. But then he ends up stabbing Driver in the stomach. Even Shannon betrays Driver to Nino to some extent, giving up his name and address. So you could definitely argue that Driver is the frog in that sense where he's constantly getting stung by scorpions, naively thinking that they're always going to work out on his plans, even though he's so methodical and has everything ultra planned out. He keeps getting stung by all the criminals he works with. But also, like you said, the driver is a scorpion in the sense that he gives into his violent tendencies and it's in his nature to do things like bashing that guy's skull with his foot in the elevator with Irene or smash Cook's hammer hand with a hammer and all the ultra violent things he does. So I think it's both. That's a great way to put it. I But I just think that he's trying to be the frog, but ultimately the scorpion takes over. I think that he's not necessarily trying to be the frog. I think he's trying just to like kind of play house in a way. He's trying to escape his past, and he thinks that if he falls in love with Irene and he kind of plays house with, with her and her family, with Benicio, and he's like almost like a father figure, he can escape his past. But even there's that great scene when him and Benicio 
are um, watching that sharks. cartoon with the sharks, and he's talking about, is he the bad guy? He's like, of course, all sharks are bad guys. Like, are, are they talking about driver? Is driver a bad guy? Yeah, that's yeah. I think I driver's think, a shark. Yeah, so I think that's what they're talking about. Yeah, so even if even though even if driver even if shark is trying to be friendly, it still wants to eat you. Exactly. So I think he's both. I yeah. think if you don't have to pick, one, if I have to pick one, I'm going with the frog. Yeah, and it was Gosling's idea to use the scorpion jacket. Yeah, it you was I mean? because yeah. he was really inspired by that film called Scorpio Rising, which is mm-hmm. like a experimental short film. It's pretty interesting. It's from like the 60s, I think. Um, and the opening title sequence of that features a logo of the of a scorpion that's pretty much identical to the logo on the ba- on his back, except a different color. A lot of people don't know, but Gosling has always been very in- involved in the character design of his of his characters and like for example he came up with the look for driver he came up with the look for his character in place beyond the pines like he's often very much involved in what the hair looks like what kind of clothes they wear typically costume designers oversee that stuff but he very much puts himself into the process yeah he's him and reffin were clearly very influenced by obviously the driver which is a movie from like i think 1976 or something like that and then bullet Stars Steve McQueen, Collateral, I think, was definitely an influence, and Lace Samurai is definitely an influence on this film. Yeah, and I, like um, Place Beyond the Pines, it was his idea to have so many tattoos, and then before they started filming, he was like, I think I have too many tattoos, and the director, Derek, was like, hey, it's your choice. You, It's too late now. You gotta, you gotta go. Because they're temporary, right? Yeah, exactly. But I'm, as soon as the first images were on the internet, every girl was like, oh my god, have you seen Gosling with these tattoos? <laughs> <laughs> Even I was like, damn. And the blonde hair. Damn, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think people underestimate how how talented he is, how much he cares about what he does, and how involved he is in the whole process of... And this film, it's, it's entirely like he was very much involved in, like you said, eliminating the dialogue, helping write the screenplay. They were uh, There was a script, but they were going as they went along, and they were fixing dialogue and changing scenes as they went. He and Carrie Mulligan often changed dialogue or just completely eliminated their dialogue. Like that scene when they're in the kitchen and she gives him water after... He um, bring, brings the groceries in. Like they say like a couple lines to each other, but you can tell from all the moments of silence and the beats that like there's probably a lot of just small talk written into the script that they just got rid of. You want a toothpick? <laughs> <laughs> and what I love about Driver, which we talked about a little bit, is how we the mystery behind him is we don't know how dangerous this guy is. We don't really know what he's capable of until the diner scene when he's eating dinner alone at the diner and that guy recognizes him and he's talking about, oh, hey man, remember you drove me and my brother back from Palm Springs? He got himself killed. I did like two years in prison. And then driver cuts him off immediately and he's like, how about this? Shut your mouth before I kick your teeth down your throat and shut it for you. But he's like so dead serious (laughs) and it's like, holy crap, like what else is this guy gonna do? Because that scene is just like such a reverse of what we've seen from Driver so far because he's always just been very, very, very warm and quiet and kind of like just having a crush on Irene. And that's because that happened immediately after the party for Standard's return from prison. So yeah. he, the thing, the he, Irene, his relationship with Irene and Benicio, it's over. It's done. The, the only thing that he's ever loved in his life is gone. And so now he's resorting back to his old self and he's filled with rage now. And so the diner scene is the first moment you see that. But then But I, also I think it's not just because he's full of rage, but because again he's very careful and methodical and he doesn't want someone to ID him and possibly get him in trouble. No, yeah, that too, but you can just see in his face oh, how, yeah. how bad he feels, how much he how much he has building up inside of him. And then and then when Standard's robbery goes wrong, when he slaps Blanche and just grabs her by the mouth and forces her onto the bed. And he's like, if you don't tell me the truth, I'm going to hurt you. That's like, that was a big turning point for me for the character. Like, holy crap, who is this guy? You just got a little boy's father killed. And you almost got us killed. (laughs) (laughs) It's insane. And he's just like shaking with fury. It's incredible. There's so much more to talk about. But how about we just run into our intermission for a little bit and take a little break from drive? Yeah, let's go, bro. And so we'll be- Wow, we're cruising, huh? Yeah, we're cruising for real. We're cruising like in the 1973 Chevy Chevrolet Chevelle. Chevelle? Is it Chevelle or Malibu? Malibu. 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 My bad. 73 Malibu. Man, you you have a podcast. He picked it on himself, I believe. Gosling. So, we'll start with the movie quote competition. I have one from a fan and one from me. This is from Ford. Ready? Look, you have to look at my hands, too. Motherfucker looks like the The thing. thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, it's Tim Roth's character in Reservoir Dogs. The thing. 
motherfucker looks like the thing. It's All right. my way or the highway. Now, this is another one for me. Yeah, to you it's Thanksgiving. To me it's Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Is that Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> Maybe. Paul, say the line again. Yeah, to you it's Thanksgiving. To me it's Thursday. Is it Rocky? Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a pretty good impression of Rocky. Yeah, it's good. Just sound like that's a, a good slide. Sound like a dumb idiot. It's a great, great, great slide. <laughs> All right, here's mine. I should have had you wear double condoms. Well, we shouldn't have done it in the first place, but if you ever do it again, which as a favor to women everywhere, you should not. But if you do, you should be wearing condom on condom and then wrap it in electrical tape. You should just walk around always inside a great big condom because you are a piece of shit. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> I, I'm, oh, I know this. What is... Uh, <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna be so upset when you tell me the answer. That's a great quote. It's really funny. Um, say it one more time. I should have you wear double condoms. Well, we shouldn't have done it in the first place, but if you ever do it again, which as a favor to women, every- right, it's a Wes Anderson movie. No, no, it's not. I give up. It's inside Lewin Davis. Oh, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. <laughs> man, that's a good line. Yeah, it's so funny. All right, guess this movie release year. Brunson. 2006. 2008. Oh, man. Okay, guess this movie release year. Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy, the first one. 2001. 98. Wow, 98. It's an old movie. You're right. All right, movie pop quiz time. Two Pixar films have caused immense spikes in pet sales sales of two specific animals. What are the movies and what are the animals? So the first one is definitely The Clownfish with Nemo. Yep. And then the second one, hold on, give me a sec. I'm trying to think of animal Pixar movies. Oh, my God. An animal. Oh, what's an animal Pixar movie? It's definitely not Wally. Yeah. <laughs> or Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, man. It's going to. Oh, Ratatouille. Yeah. Yes, with so, rats. Yeah. Yes. Bingo. Nice. Rats are, good... rats are actually excellent pets. They're yeah. like little dogs. Yeah. We had a few friends with rats for pets. They're cute. Yeah. That was a good question. Thanks. I came up with it myself. Nice. Okay, here's mine. I read it in, in a, a book. book. <laughs> I like to break a mental sweat too. Are you reading the dictionary? <laughs> I feel like we've referenced that like four episodes in a row. <laughs> oh man, we love Ben Stiller. All right, here's my quiz question. What Martin Scorsese movie did Albert Brooks act in? Taxi Driver. Nice. Yeah. Good one. He's I thought the I was campaign gonna... manager. Yeah. Well, not a manager. Not a manager, but, but he works at the yeah. offices. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. I, nice. thought, I thought it would be a trick question. A trick. Too obvious. Come on, kid. I host a movie podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's our biggest hater of the week? Okay. We got a few. You have a real one, right? As well as some, fun, some fun haters. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so, it's um, a juicy one. So, you posted the clip about Fight Club talk, and I, I listed off all of the clues to narrator and Tyler being the same person. Mm-hmm. And then Jackie Moon 12 said, it's pronounced Norton, not narrator. What? <laughs> so he thought I was trying to say Edward Norton's last name. Does he really think you think that his last name is narrator? Yeah. And so multiple of our fans were like, poor guy, and then laughing emojis. And then someone said, narrator is the credit name of Edward Norton's character. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you pin the comment to the top? No, I just found it today. You should have. You should. And then... um, That's pretty humiliating. Yeah. yeah. And then on your, your rant about uh, the card counter, Matt Burnt commented, watched old last night, some of the worst acting and dialogue ever. Just for it being on your movie news episode, I'm now unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, they send us a box. Yeah. <laughs> and then Samuel Cahill commented on the Fight Club video, I can't believe you guys misquoted Michael Scott. Michael said, you have no idea the physical toll that three vasectomies have on a person. Four. I said four. Not four. Unsubscribed. I, I thought about that that night. I'm like, oh, I got the Michael Scott quote wrong. It kept you up at night. It did because I am like an expert on The Office. I've seen that show so many times. So I was thinking about it all night. I'm like, someone's going to call me out. I can't wait. That's it. Those those are all of them. All right, biggest. Those are funny ones. They did a good job. That's good. I love our fans. Snip, snap, snip, snap, 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 snap. (laughs) All right, biggest supporter of the week. We have a few great five star reviews. The first is from Abdullah Muhammad. Fight Club. Fight Club is the best episodes you guys made so far, man. This is some good stuff, guys. My favorite podcast. Also, you guys are great. Ah, thanks, Abdullah. And then we have P Nixer. Like-minded Christopher Nolan fans, finally! Yes. All caps, finally. (laughs) These guys provide a perfect combination of thoughtful, in-depth film analysis mixed with fun fanboy laughs. I absolutely love the Prestige episode. That's one of my favorite we've ever done. Abracadabra, gentlemen, keep up the movie magic coming. 
You got it, P-Nixer. Are you watching closely? Thanks so much for the five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Amazing. On this day in film history, today is September 12th, 27th. In 1982, filming began on Sean Connery's final Bond film, Never Say Never Again. The Last King of Scotland was released in 2006. In 2013, both Rush and Don John were released. And happy birthday to Gwyneth Paltrow. Nice. My streaming recommendation is Do the Right Thing, which was just added on Amazon Prime. Nice. Awesome. All right. Let's get back into Drive. And where did we leave off? We were talking about Driver violence. and Seaton, all the violence and yeah. everything. So where do you think we should take it you off know, from here? Should we talk about some other characters? I think we should. I, I would like to talk about the elevator scene. Let's talk about the elevator scene. So this is obviously one of the craziest points in the movie. And this is where driver shows his true colors to irene so at this point in the film he tells irene what happened the botched robbery the botched robbery and that he he wants to give her the money or maybe they could get away together and and also nino is sending someone to yeah. check him out yeah. which we know what that means exactly and then i don't think driver was planning to get in the elevator with with um irene irene but then when he saw the gangster there then he gets inside because he knows he clearly suspects that this could be a gangster. And this scene, it's so well directed and so well acted. And Refn used some surre surrealist magic realism in terms of changing the lighting. Um, the space seems to get bigger. And the music is incredible. And it's an, a great moment because obviously there's that famous part of the film where Ref, I mean, Driver sees that the guy has a gun on, on holstered on him. And so he's like, okay, this guy's definitely a, a gangster. I have to kill him. Say gangster again. Gangsta. <laughs> I, like, I think this guy's going to be a gangster. I better protect Irene. <laughs> and so he turns around and he kisses Irene and the, the lights actually dim. And he they hold that shot for a while and the music is really great. And a lot of people, there's, there's a debate about why he kisses Irene here. And I would say that the reason why Driver kisses Irene in this moment is because it's the last moment that he has with Irene where he's not the scorpion where he's that guy that she's been spending time with you know and so he wants to preserve that that relationship they have built because he knows in this moment it's going to be over because he knows once he gets started he takes things too far and once she sees that side of him she'll never want to see him again she'll never want to speak to him again and she'll be terrified of him and so he knows that their relationship is going to fall apart after this moment so he's just taking this last moment to have some kind of intimacy with her yeah it's a beautiful shot and the way the lights go down when he turns and kisses her it's super slow-mo again i love all the ultra slow motion that refin uses in this film but my favorite part about this scene which i don't think a lot of people notice is when driver turns to irene pushes her gently pushes her against the wall and kisses her he starts the kiss leaning against the wall to his right but then he moves his body left so that the scorpion on the back of his jacket is center frame perfectly lit showing us that he is the scorpion or the scorpion's about to be unleashed yeah. something like that He's transforming into and the then scorpion. he turns back so Refn and gosling obviously they purposely show us the scorpion in this shot because it's such it's so much more than just a kiss in this elevator and also the last shot when the elevator doors close the last thing we see is the scorpion jacket lit up by the light on top of him so perfectly in frame this is showing that he is now fully the scorpion from now on so you know what i think i think that well it's not that he's a scorpion in the first half because he i mean the frog in the first half and scorpion in the second half because i still think he has frog tendencies in the second half of the film in the third act when he thinks bernie's gonna let him go or it's not maybe he doesn't think bernie's gonna let him go because it seems like he takes on that knife or he's assuming yeah, I it's think, gonna happen i think at the end he knows that bernie's gonna attack him or he's gonna get because he had a knife on him too. yeah you're right so maybe that's because well, because driver smiles yeah he goes he gives that like he's like sly he knows, smile he's yeah. like you're not gonna let me go yeah so maybe we can say that the first half of the movie driver is the frog in the second half he's the scorpion when the scorpion is finally finally unleashed yeah and also because when he's telling shan to get out of town he's like you got to get out of town because they're gonna kill everyone involved in this he already knows then because that no yeah. one will survive yeah the thing with driver is like we said he, he knows these kinds of situations for some reason wherever he's from if he's part of like mo a mob situation wherever he's from whatever city he he comes from he he knows what's gonna happen and it's just and i love the mob elements in this film because we have nino who is this guy who owns the pizzeria, but 
he's part of the mob, but is kind of like made fun of or exiled in a way from the mob because, because he's, he's Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. And then we have Bernie, who's this Hollywood producer, but was also a gangster at the same time. And he's probably the he's probably worse than Driver when it comes to killing and being an evil like scorpion, you could say. Well, I love the character of Bernie because you've never seen a villain like him before. We've seen plenty of like mob leaders and stuff, but. Well, so first of all, what's so different about this movie is because it's, it's an L.A. movie. It's one of the it's one of the best L.A. movies ever. If you live in L.A. and you watch this movie, you can point out like everything that you see. And the thing is, you never really see the mob in L.A. in movies. It's always in the East Coast. Ten, ten tends to be in you know New York, Philly, Boston, Chicago, Chicago, those areas. Never in really in L.A. But there are there's a lot of mob stuff in L.A. even to this day. You know, there's a lot of Russian mobsters in L.A. And, you know, you see all these empty stores that never close, but somehow they stay afloat. They sell cupcakes on on Ventura Boulevard and somehow make rent. Yes, like somehow (laughs) are are paying rent in Melrose Boulevard. It's like, come on, it's a front. You know what I mean? So there are mobsters in L.A. And but Bernie's character We're about to get whacked. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, there's no one in LA. <laughs> only only nice people in LA. <laughs> but Bernie, he's a lot like Driver, where we don't know much about him, his past. We know we we can tell he's dangerous. We can tell he has power, but he's also not untouchable. That's why he gets scared. He's afraid of the mob coming from the East Coast to him. You know what I mean? That's why he's so upset for with Nino for allowing this whole thing to happen. But what's so great about Bernie is like we we slowly see character traits like the best part about Bernie that we see in the film is his affinity for knives. And that tends to be the way he kills people. And most notably the scene, first he kills that other guy in the pizza shop, but that's just with a a chef's knife. Cook. Cook. Um, Literally, yeah. And that's a crazy scene. Like, where he stabs him in the eyeball with a fork and he just, like, keeps stabbing his throat with the big oh, knife. God. Like, oh, man. That is so... Nice. And I can't believe it's Albert Brooks doing that, too. It's so... The juxtaposition of Albert Brooks and the violence is what really works. But... So, when he kills Shannon, he slits his wrist. And he does it so quickly. It looks like he's done that a hundred times, you know? He knew the right spot. He did it so fast. It was, like, you barely saw it happen. And then he's telling Shannon, like, it's over. Like, you're done. I got you. You're going to bleed out. And then when he goes home, he cleans off the knife, and then he puts it back. He puts it in this case. And in this case, there are four other knives of different designs and different kinds of blades. And he sets this um, switchblade carefully in its place in the empty spot. And you're just, like, looking at those, those knives and, like, how many people has he killed with those knives? And then he sends to, like, he, he must select a certain knife for each kill. For a particular reason. And it's just such a fascinating character detail to see that moment. Yeah, and he seems to be, he's a hes a crook. Maybe not a part of the mob, but he's somewhere somewhere along those lines. But he still has respect for, for people in a sense, whereas Nino has none. Like, Nino makes fun of Shannon when he comes into him. And he, even though he's the one who probably broke, he broke his pelvis because he, that's... Yeah, Nino's friends did. Yeah, that's yeah. what Bernie tells us. Whereas Bernie, you know... He's known Shannon for a long time, and he seems really disappointed when he asked to kill him. You know, they're in the diner, him and Nino are talking, and they're like, we have to eliminate everyone who can tie this robbery, this botched robbery, to Nino, including Cook sitting there at the, eating the pizza. But also they have to take out Shannon, which Bernie isn't too happy about because they've known each other for a long time. And they're not, like, best buds, but, you know, I think that Bernie to this point— he feels bad for Shannon because he's he says that t- talking to driver he's like he's never had any luck, you know things have never gone his way in life and he's kind of doing the whole race car project as kind of a favor to Shannon to try and like get him back on his feet in a yeah, way you can tell yeah and he seems to want it he wants to help Shannon out you know it's not doesn't seem like the best business adventure right at first but I think that he says yes because he's like you know what Shannon he needs he could use a break you know he's he's had a rough life like yeah. I can help him out. I respect the guy. I'm going to lowball him on the car, but yeah. I'm going to help him out. Yeah. Whereas Nino is much dirtier. He's a messier gangster. He has the actual ties to the mob. He's the one that when he gets wind of a wise guy coming to town to invest a million dollars and set up a rival operation in Los Angeles, decides to hire Standard Gabriel after he comes out of prison with Cook. So Cook is basically like his his like enforcer, you could say, in a way. Yeah. Or his lieutenant, sort of, when you, when yeah, you, you work call him a lieutenant. Yeah. And... um. 
they hire Standard to do this robbery, which they're going to have them rob the pawn shop in the valley and then rob them right afterwards. And so it's a messy situation. Everything goes wrong. They don't know that there's going to be all that money there in terms of Blanche, Driver, and Standard. They don't know it's going to be for all that cash. It's supposed to be for like $40,000, and they get there into a million dollars in cash. And then obviously that's the probably the best driving scene in the movie when Driver drives away from that was it the Chrysler 500 that's yeah. chasing them? And he does that sick backwards, like <laughs> like 270 turn, like whatever. That's degrees. a great car chase. Doing the hills of, of California, those yeah. dicey turns. And so Nino basically messes up this entire situation for everybody where he could have handled it or he could have let Bernie know what was going to happen to fill him in so that it could have been a cleaner job. But also he could have just gotten the money. And after that, he could have just gotten the money back from Driver and called it a day because Driver was like, I'm going to tell you where to be, and I'm going to give you the money, and then that's that. But Nino tries to kill him, and then Bernie's even like, why didn't you—you you should have just taken the money and just left it alone, because yeah. now I'm involved. So Nino is much more of a loose cannon, but because he and Bernie are tied together, Bernie is along for the ride now. Yeah, I think he also decides to kill him because he's part of the mob. That's like what you do. That's what, I guess, those those gangsters do when there's money involved like that. No loose Someone ends. Someone gets robbed. No yeah. loose ends. And Nino's also an impulsive guy, he seems to be. Like, I think impulsivity is a theme in this film as well. And clearly, Nino, with his impulsivity, reacts negatively to a lot of situations here. And he causes even more dirt and more of a shitstorm for everybody. Yeah, for sure. And then I think one of the other highlight scenes of violence in this movie has got to be the hammer scene. And th this was part of the Halloween costume of Driver. You know, Gosling's intention with the costume design of this character was he, because he had never played a superhero, so he wanted to play something like a superhero. And also he said he wanted to create a Halloween costume that people would want to wear. And when this movie came out that year, you saw driver costumes everywhere. They were, like I wanted to be driver, but the jacket was like 150 bucks. Those cool like, gloves, the gloves, and but you had to have the jacket. You had to have the sunglasses, a toothpick, or a match, and then you had to have the hammer and skinny black jeans. Yeah, skinny black, <laughs> very skinny black jeans. And the hammer became infamous in this movie. And just that scene in the strip club is so disturbing. And so much tension and suspense built up. You don't, he doesn't act like you think he's going to beat his face in, but first he attacks Cook's hand and then he takes the bullet and he places it on his forehead and like he holds the hammer up and it's like if he smashes the hammer on the bullet, it's going to set off right into this guy's skull. It's insane. It's such a great moment. And then when he, he puts the tail of the hammer into his mouth and pulls his mouth open and makes him swallow the bullet. It's such a memorable scene, and the music is perfect. You remember this? <laughs> <laughs> One of those bad men give that to you? You want me to keep that for you? Yeah, sure. But I think probably <laughs> the best the best action moment has got to be the motel room. Yeah, so this is after Blanche betrays Driver when he goes out to make that phone call to see if Irene can talk on the phone after Standard gets killed. And then he goes back to the motel. And immediately when he leaves, Blanche calls Cook and lets them know where they are. And she's... Ignorant to the fact that they're all going to get killed. Yeah. Cook's going to kill him too. Kill her too. And it's an, an incredible moment because you think that everything's going to be okay. Driver's going to handle this. And then Blanche goes into the bathroom to clean herself up. And then you just see one of the one of the thugs just outside the window with a, with a shotgun. And then Driver clearly showing that he has been through stuff like this before. He sees someone trying to open the door. And he does the best thing you could possibly do is he throws the mattress right in front of the door to make the door very difficult to open once they get the door unlocked. And and then the moment when first Blanche gets her head, her head shot open and then you're just like in so much shock. It's a great prosthetic. It looks amazing. And then the guy goes after Driver. Well, actually what happens is great is because Driver is like the person's trying to come in through the door and Blanche just got shot and someone's coming in through the window. And in his mind, he's going like, this is how cool and calm and collected he is in this situation. He's like, what's the biggest threat right now? The guy can't get in through the door. He's trying to push it open. So that's my, my second threat. The first threat is the guy who just came in through the bathroom. So I got to go take care of him first, which he does with the the shower curtain rod oh my God. right through the center of his throat and chest and this is the first instance of gore I think we yeah. saw in the movie besides standard getting shot but this was like intense violent gore yeah. like oh my that God. that Refn is known for yeah and then he takes out the guy with the shotgun and 
he's just covered in blood. And I love the aesthetic of Driver, who we just thought was like a decent guy up until this point, just looks like you a monster. You thought he was just a getaway, getaway driver. Yeah, yeah, for real. And he seems like a monster. He was trying to help this family out. He's trying to help Standard out. He's trying to protect Irene and Benicio. And now it's an even worse situation. But the way he just kills these people like so easily and so efficiently, he does get a wound, but still, he took them both out. And I love how Reffin ends the scene where Driver is just standing there in silence. And he's, he's like, I think he might be trying to listen if there's anyone else involved and then he slowly steps back into the bathroom and then he disappears behind the wall and the space left open he uh Refn reveals the bloodstained walls it's such a great shot yeah it's like I a monster it. going back into the abyss yeah oh back into his cave yeah it's oh, pretty man. wild great great one i love that <laughs> <laughs> but the, that's what's so great is the violence it shocks you it's not just like in your face and it's the it's the slow build, you know, it's the quiet moments that slowly build into that. And, you know, the character development of Driver, even if people say that he's not a great character, he is. And you you really empathize with him and are along for the ride with him. So when he's put in the situation, you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And before we continue, Driver is clearly a pretty dapper guy. I mean, the gloves, the jacket, the hammer everything so you can guarantee that he's heading on over to manscape.com to get his hands on the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with our coupon code raiders of the lost at checkout for 20 percent off this brand new groomer it's waterproof skin safe anthony and i have been both using them for months they're fantastic 7000 oh, yeah. rpm motor wireless charger built-in light you can use it in the shower in the dark go crazy party have a good time put on night call by kavinsky rock get out with your, mood. with your lawnmower put on some purple lights <laughs> but i'm telling you everyone listening if you got a guy in your life, they need a gift for a birthday, anniversary, something. You know what to get them. They're going to love products from Manscaped. We use them all the time. Their boxer briefs, their, their, their men's wipes are fantastic. Their deodorizers, everything's phenomenal. So use our coupon code Raiders of the Lost at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide. I recommend their performance package 4.0, which is basically a bundle of their Gifts like the lawnmower, weed whacker, men's wipe, deodorizers, box briefs, everything like that. All those goodies inside a bundle. I recommend it. There are 2 million men worldwide using Manscaped products. Get on the Mace app. And then I got to tell you about MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. If you're a fan of Drive, there's no better place to get a poster than at MoviePosters.com. And use our special promo code Raiders15 off to get 15% off that order. They are the number one site to get your posters online. They have every kind of movie you can think of. All sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, whatever your poster needs are, MoviePosters.com can handle it. If you're checking out our set on YouTube, you'll see that our walls are covered in these amazing posters from MoviePosters.com. I can attest to the quality of these posters. Again, head on over to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code RAIDERS15OFF to get 15% off your order today. And yeah, I feel bad for... For standard Gabriel in this movie, obviously he committed a crime and he understands he did and he did his time, but he comes out, he he wants redemption, you know, with his family. Irene stayed around with him to wait for him to come out of jail and stayed there and part of the family. But it's you feel bad for him because he needed protection in prison. That's where Cook and Nino came into play. And then he gets out and it's they he owes them two thousand, he owes them five thousand, he owes them ten thousand. Tomorrow's gonna be twenty thousand. Who knows what's gonna be the next day. So you, you empathize with the character for sure because you want him he seems like a good guy. He seems like a, he's a good dad. And I just can't help but feel bad for his situation because I think besides Shannon, um unluckiness or bad luck is a, a theme for other characters in this film as well and oscar isaac is really terrific he's he's so good in this movie and you you really do feel for standard you empathize with him and but my favorite scene is that hallway scene during the party when driver and irene are talking to each other and and then standard comes out with benicio and then he he interacts with driver for the first time and he's being polite but Oscar Isaac plays it so well with being like, get the hell away from my woman. You know what I mean? This is my family. Back the hell off. That's what he's insinuating. And his attitude and his cadence and his performance is so good. I really love Because that's what I would be like. You yeah. know what I mean? You're like, if I, I was in a situation, I would do the same exact thing. Like, I'd be nice, but I'd be like, get the hell away from my like, family. I know what you're doing over yeah. here. I know why you're hanging out with my wife. And I think the wardrobe department purposely gave Standard and Benicio Stripes. like a same. They have yeah. like almost identical sweaters on because yeah. I think what they're trying to show driver is like driver will never be benicio's father no matter what like this is his real father they also did the great uh, production design of whenever they're inside arene's apartment 
uh, and Driver is looking at Irene, or there's a couple of shots where Irene's looking at Driver, there is a photo of Standard with Benicio in the background. Mm -hmm. There's one in the kitchen, there's one um, on the in the living room, and then there's another one in the dining room. where, And you can visibly see a photo of Standard and Benicio or Standard Benicio and Irene in the background. So that's all. And uh, most notably, when they're in the kitchen for the first time, and there's a small photo on the mirror in the kitchen, and you can see Driver's reflection in the mirror, and then Benicio, a photo of Benicio and Standard right below him attached to the mirror. So it's showing like what what Driver wants, and he'll never have it because it's already someone else's. Yeah, I get that for sure. And I, I think Carrie Mulligan was fantastic in this movie. She she really played opposite Gosling really well. You can see like the how they fall in love. They, she did a remarkable job with the minimal dialogue she yeah, has. Yeah, both of them have yeah. like no dialogue to work with, so they have to express so much with nonverbal communication. Yeah, and you can feel like the tension and, and then the the trauma and despair they feel after like she tells them about Standard getting released from prison out of surprise and you know it's a great moment when she tells them my husband's getting released and the yeah, eyebrows yeah, they're, <laughs> the eyebrows they're in the car. And then right when she says that, the car stops at a red light. The red, the light turns red, and it's literally like a visual metaphor of, all right, this is over. It stopped. We're we're putting the halt on this. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. Yeah, and and basically the ending of the film is phenomenal as well. Where Driver's only goal is to get Irene and Benicio out, and the only person who knows about them two is Bernie. And so Bernie makes that deal with Driver to this is after he drowns Nino in the water, which is a great scene. Awesome. Why do you think he did it with the the mask on? Because I, I understand him going to the pizza shop so he's not recognized to make sure Nino's there. Why do you think he kept it on? I think what you were talking about earlier, how he enjoys killing and yeah. how he wanted to make it even more yeah, of a I think terrifying it, it, situation. He's like, I'm Michael Myers type of attitude. Like I'm just a killer. You know what I mean? Yeah, that seems like that seems like to make a lot of sense. Because he doesn't me. have to keep the mask on if he's about to kill the guy. You know what I mean? So I think he did it because if he's he's sickly enjoying it. He's a monster. Yeah, he really is. And um, and I love how he uses his car to kill. No, oh, so like cool. Because his relationship with the car is really important yeah. to him. You know, it's basically an extension of, of himself. But um, he makes the deal with Bernie. Where if he brings him the money, if he brings Bernie the million dollars cash, Irene and Benicio are out. No one knows who they exist. Even though the mob's going to be coming after Driver for the rest of his life, he's going to have to look over his shoulder for the mob. No one knows about Irene and Benicio, and Bernie will never tell. And you can tell that Bernie's going to keep his word on that. For some reason, I believe him. Uh, although he's really going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> but so they both, can't believe But him. they both know. No, it's like both. I believe that. So you can trust him. But you know he's gonna kill me. Yeah, <laughs> I got you, guy. Oh, you're gonna let me go? Don't worry. Oh, you'll let them go? I don't know. But they meet at the it's great one. But it's a great plan by Bernie to try and convince him. Like I'm sure someone who's more of a novice in this kind of situation would be like, okay, I believe Bernie. He's gonna let me go. It's like someone, but Driver knows he's not gonna let me go. I think he's done with getting stung. He's yeah. done being the frog. And I think he's going into this meeting either knowing he's going to die and he's going kind to of kill Bernie. For it. I think either, I think no matter what, he's gonna kill Bernie, but he might die at the same time and he's accepting that fate. Yeah. And I love how Refn shoots this final moment of the knife attack because you get that shot a real quick shot, Bernie stabbing uh, Driver in the stomach. But then you see another quick shot of Driver slashes at Bernie. Looks like he slashes at his throat, but that's it. And then Refn cuts to the shadows on the pavement. And you just see them struggling, the shadows struggling. And then eventually Bernie's shadow falls and Driver's shadow stands up tall. And I was like, I was blown away by that. I'm like, we've seen knife fights. And how do you shoot? How do you film it in a different way? Refn showing how genius of a visual filmmaker he it is. It even kind of looks like it could be a scorpion attacking a frog. Oh, yeah. Like the shadows. Wow. That's nice. what I think of when I see it. Pretty cool. But then I love the close-up of the blood on the boots and then the close-up of Driver's profile. Is he dead? Is he alive? He's not moving at all. The eyes uh, are open, which is know what, if he's breathing. Which, what tricks you. But if you watch it like really close, he's, his it's, eyes are... It's his, almost his impossible to remain still. still. He yeah. does it. Gosling does a great job. The first time I saw it, I was like, he's dead yeah. oh my god he's not moving <laughs> <laughs> but then now i watch him i'm always like i can see him moving he's i can shaking see, he's shaking a little bit i can i can see I can the see heartbeat pulse. yeah <laughs> but it's great the first time you watch this movie it's like a 20 second hold yeah and it's like is he dead but then he drives away yeah it's great and, and i love i like to think that he survives and he moves on to a new oh city. he absolutely survives 100 yeah. because he's done it before 
You know, he you know he got away last time with some injuries for sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I think that he'll go to another city and start all over again. again. <laughs> Kill a bunch of dudes. <laughs> He's gonna meet Ariana and Ben. <laughs> I see what you did there. Tried. But uh, I adore this movie. And we just watched it for fun. We didn't have to because we've seen it so many times. But to we were just like last night we were just like, let's just watch it again. Let's and go. it was it's such a great film. I've seen it many times and I still adore it. Yeah, I think I've brought up everything that I was planning on coming up with. I think we got covered pretty much everything. You know what time it is? It's time for some trivia. Let's go. Okay, so in preparation for this role, Ryan Gosling personally restored the 1973 Chevy Malibu that his character drives in the film. Despite the driving storyline, director Nicholas Winding Refn has no interest in cars. He doesn't have a driver's license and has failed his driver's test eight times. Albert Brooks was in character when he first met Nicholas Winding Refn. He even pinned him against the wall and spoke in a threatening manner like Bernie. Brooks shaved his eyebrows for this role to make his character seem more emotionless. Nicholas Winding Refn, when he read the screenplay for the first time, he was more intrigued by the concept of a man having a split personality, being a stuntman by day and a getaway driver at night, than the actual story itself. There's this crazy story of a woman actually tried to sue the producers of Drive because the trailer made it seem as though it was a big car chase action movie like the Fast and the Furious films. And she was very disappointed that it became that it was not a, a high octane thriller. And so she tried to sue them for it. That's crazy. Uh, Nicholas Winning Refn moved into a Los Angeles home during filming and insisted that the cast members and screenwriter move in with him. They would work on the script and film all day, then watch films, edit, or drive at night. Refn requested that the editing suite be placed in his home as well. With a shooting script of only 81 pages, Winning Refn and Ryan Gosling continued to trim down dialogue, continued to trim down dialogue during filming. And so the way a screenplay works, it's about one page equals a minute of screen time. So the, I'm sure they trimmed it down to like 70 pages. But they somehow made a hour and forty minute movie out of it. Yeah, I have a. It's not a fact about Drive, but Brian Cranston. And I was like, I read this, and I was like, no way. So this is how Brian Cranston got cast in Breaking Bad. He guest starred in a 1998 episode of The X Files called Drive, and that was his first collaboration with screenwriter Vince Gilligan, who wrote the episode. And Vince Vince Gilligan was so impressed by Brian Cranston's performance as the villain of the episode that he decided to cast him as Walter White when he made Breaking Bad. That's pretty awesome. There are many references to Taxi Driver in this film. One is the scene in which Driver sits alone eating pie. This is the same thing the protagonist, oh, Travis yeah. Bickle, did in Taxi Driver. Refn has expressed an esteemed admiration for Taxi Driver director Martin Scorsese because he's the best. The GOAT. Probably. That's all for my trivia. Do you have any more? Um, I think I'm good, yeah. Well, thank you so much to everybody for tuning into this episode on Drive. We really hope you enjoy this film as much as we do because it's one of our like top 25 favorites probably. In mine, top 25 for sure. I love it. But wherever you're tuning around the world, we really appreciate you. Be sure to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast to get all those awesome perks and video messages and schedules and bonus episodes. And thanks so much. We have some great episodes coming your way. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.